0: Galatians chapter number 5, Galatians chapter number 5, this is going to be part number 3 of our How to Have Joy series. I have enough uh, study, and uh, we have a part 4 more than likely coming up. I try to take it week by week and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but this is part 3 in this series. And in verse number 22, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And if I could pause for just a moment, it starts out with a but the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason it starts out that way is because the Apostle Paul is drawing a contrast from what he previously said in the previous verses when he was talking about the works of the flesh. So we have a contrast between the works of the flesh, which are idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and so forth, all kinds of uh, problems, murders, drunkenness, and so forth, uh, sexual sins, behavioral sins, sins of the character. These are all the works of the flesh. They come with our human nature. We're born with it. Ever since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, that sin nature passed on to the human race. You don't have to train someone to be a good sinner. It can happen all on its own. Now, sadly, there are a lot of young people that grow up in environments where they do. They are well-trained in sinfulness, and that's a, that's a travesty, and that's a shame, but that's another message for another time. So this is a contrast between the works of the flesh, and so Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, watch this, is love. Then of course the next one is what we're talking about here today, joy, peace, peace and joy and love certainly go together. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such There is no law. What I'd like to speak to you this morning is the subject of natural joy. Let's bow our heads and let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would bless this time together. Lord, it is a joy to be in church here today. Thank you for the special music, the congregational singing. Thank you for all these that have come. And Lord, we ask you today that everyone that's listening Lord, not only here in this auditorium, but also through live stream, perhaps, Lord, there will be others that will listen at a later date. We pray, Father, that the word of God and the message today will be a help. Lord, it would draw people to you. If there be anyone here today that's not saved, Lord, uh, may the Holy Spirit help them to focus on that need and that solution to the need, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help your people here today. We need to have joy. We're living in a very depressed and oppressed culture, and Lord, we struggle, and Lord, it's a battle, and we just need your help. So please bless this time together. May the message have a profound effect in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Fruit is the natural product that demonstrates what something is. Fruit is not works. The works of the flesh is one thing, but the fruit of the spirit is that natural product of what something is. There is way too much, too much checkbox Christianity today, and not enough fruitfulness. And what a difference. You can do the same things, but many Christians do it from a checklist. Well, the preacher said, I'm supposed to pray. The preacher taught I'm supposed to read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to attend church and there's way too much checkbox Christianity and not near enough fruitfulness. And you know, when, when we are what we're supposed to be and we develop that relationship with the Holy Spirit, notice our text here, it says the fruit of the Spirit. And the only way that we can naturally produce this fruit love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., etc., is by having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, in light of having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, I want to draw your attention to the next two verses. Verse number 24 says, "...they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts if we live in the Spirit." Let us also walk in the Spirit. This is a relationship. Listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are living a life to where you just want to satisfy your flesh, all of the lusts of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, if you are living for yourself and expecting to naturally bear the fruit of the Spirit, It's never going to happen. You cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, you can imitate some of these things, but all nine of these characteristics of the fruit singular of the Spirit, you cannot emulate all of them at once. It's not even possible. We all have different personality types. And, you know, it's easier for some personality types to demonstrate kindness than it is others. But then sometimes we can, like, try to do that. I counseled with a lady one time. They, her and her husband were having major marital conflict. And she sat in my office, her and her husband, and I'm trying to help them out. And she, in frustration, she said, but pastor, I'm trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit. I'm trying to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And you could tell she was passionate about what she was saying. But I thought, ma'am, sister, if you will, you're missing something here. You cannot do it in the power of the flesh. It requires a relationship with the Holy Spirit to crucify your flesh. If you were to back up and see all of those things that are characteristics of the flesh, you have to come to the point where you are willing, just as Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, you've got to go to the cross yourself and say, I'm ready to die to myself. Not a physical death, but a reckoning in which you are saying in your heart of hearts, I no longer want all of that sin. I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It has to be from the heart. And for us to bear the fruit of the Spirit, we have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's just like the relationship of a husband and a wife. It's not a relationship if the husband simply has a checklist. Well, you know, I read this book. And this book says that I'm supposed to tell my wife every day that I love her. And so, you know, it's like this reminder it's like, well, honey, I put a yellow Post-it note on the mirror uh, so that when I brush my teeth every morning, it will remind me to tell you that I love you. And the wife's supposed to say, oh, that's so thoughtful of you. Honey, I haven't, I haven't missed a day in three years. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> I, I hope you understand what I'm getting at. There's way too much... Checklist Christianity and checklist Christianity will not produce the natural joy that comes from bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you three things, really four because my conclusion is kind of a fourth point here this morning, but three things that will naturally bring you joy into your life if you will exercise these very, very spiritual principles. Number one, build prayer relationships. Second Timothy chapter number one, the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy, a a young preacher, a young pastor to whom he is mentoring, and he says this. He says, "'I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience,' that without ceasing, watch this, he says, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. He remembers Timothy in his prayers. I have a prayer list, and you ought to have a prayer list. You ought to keep that prayer list. But you know, there are some people that I don't have to look at my list. I keep that prayer list But often, I'll start to pray, and I'll start just praying for who's on my heart. And then I go look at my list, and I go, I already did that. I already prayed for them. I already prayed for them. I didn't have to look at my list. Now, obviously, we have days where maybe our memory, which in the morning, we haven't had enough coffee yet. Or maybe we're going through a personal battle and challenge that clouds our mind. And then sometimes, even the people that mean the most to us, we have to be reminded by our list that's okay. But I don't think that Paul was talking about Timothy being on his prayer list. He's saying, I have remembrance of thee night and day praying for thee. Verse number four, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with what? That's a natural joy that Paul's talking about. When I called remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, that means it's not fake, he's not showing or demonstrating, it's just, it's real. And he said that real faith dwelt with thee first, or dwelt in thee, and it dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. You know what Paul had with Timothy? He had a genuine, natural prayer relationship. I had a a preacher friend that I wasn't very close to um you know had spent some time talking over the years but just really wasn't that close to him at all and I happened to know that he was going through a a challenge a, uh, some of the same type of things that I had been through in the past. And so I had a burden for him and I began to pray for him every single day with heart. And I began to think about this brother and think, how can I, how can I help this brother? And, and the Lord just said, you know, I just want you to pray for him. And recently when we were out of town, I had the opportunity to sit down with this brother and have coffee with him and talk to him. And you know, as soon as I saw him, There was, it was such a joy. It was such a, just a pleasure to be able to see this brother. Why? Because we'd spent all of this time communicating? Absolutely not. But rather because this brother was in my heart because I had a prayer relationship with him. It's the natural bond of closeness with people you hardly know if you pray for them with heart and with a burden. You know, it's difficult to be critical of someone you've been praying for with a heart and a burden. Let me just tell you that right now. And once again, I'm not giving you a checkbox here. I'm just saying that if you will develop some prayer relationships, you'll find it very, very difficult to be critical of those people. You're not going to see all of their faults and failures. You're just going to be glad to see them. Uh, we've had a landscape trees in our yard before and I know that probably many of you have had landscape trees that have you ever looked on the side the the trunk of a tree maybe up a little ways and seen all of these little holes that make a ring all the way around the tree and first time I saw that I didn't know what it was I thought wow that's a woodpecker that's getting on that tree and just going all the way around it pecking that's what I thought And so I talked to some people probably at a landscape place and said, hey, took a picture. What is this? And they said, you have bores in your tree. If you don't deal with them, they're going to kill your tree. They'll literally bore into the tree and they will, uh, all of those holes going into it, interrupt the flow of all of the moisture and the sap that goes up to feed the tree and it'll just choke off all of those pathways of nourishment into that tree. So how did how do we treat that? Well, the only way to treat it was to put this systemic insecticide. You buy it in a bottle, you mix it with water, and then you take and you pour it around the base of the tree. It goes into the ground. The roots absorb it, and then the roots take and carry that insecticide up throughout the tree, and it ends up killing all of those Those boring insects, they weren't exciting, they were boring. (laughs) Kills all of them, even though they were unseen. You know, a real prayer relationship is a lot like that systemic insecticide. In a lot of our relationships, if we would spend more time praying with heart and burden for people, even people that... Aren't necessarily your favorite people. You know what it'll start doing? It'll start making you overlook some of their faults and failures. It's a natural joy that comes. You're, you're glad to see them. You're concerned with how they're doing. You may see them after being away from them, excuse me, for a month. And you may say, hey, how you doing? And they may say, I'm doing terrible. And you know what? It's a joy to see them. (laughs) You know why that is? Because you've been praying for them. It's a natural byproduct of a prayer relationship. Compassion, empathy, and prayer have the same effect as producing the fruit of joy in our life. Just that empathy. The Bible says in Psalm 126, verse number 5, They that sow in tears shall reap in what? enjoy. It's a natural product. And tears, by the way, are a good thing. You macho men out there, uh, you must be more macho than the Goliath killer David because you read the Psalms, you find out that he talked a lot about his tears. He said, my tears have been my meat night and day. There were many, many times where the Goliath killer, the warrior killed all of those Philistines, the king of Israel. And he spent a lot of nights crying out to God with tears. I wonder, I wonder how many nights that David stayed up all night weeping for his son Absalom. Oh God, please help my son. He's deceived. He's, his, he's not thinking right. He doesn't understand what he's doing. Oh God, please help my son Absalom. And how did David get rewarded for those tears? Absalom turned against him. You say, wow, that's not the life of a Goliath killer, a warrior, and a king. That's not quite all it's cracked up to be. Let me tell you something. The Christian life is a life of joy. But the way that that joy comes is often through tears. David said that weeping may endure for the night. But joy praise the Lord, comes in the morning. You know, there's, you you may, when I talk about tears, you may be one of these, you know, when you have empathy and compassion for people and you truly allow yourself to care for them, I'm going to, I'll give you the, the, you already know this, but I'm going to remind you, you know that you can get hurt. The people that hurt you the most are the people that you have extended Empathy and compassion and love and acceptance toward those are the people that can hurt you the most. You can build up these walls of protection and say, I'm just going to quit caring. I'm going to quit having compassion. I'm going to quit being empathetic. You can do all of that, but let me tell you something. Your invisible walls, there's not a whole lot of difference between a fort and a prison. And what happens as you're trying to protect yourself from hurt, then you live a life and you never experience the joy that God wants you to have. And it's a natural product. You know that the Lord sometimes will allow you to get hurt? So that in time, and I'll say more about this in a minute, so that in time you can have true, genuine um, joy that is not just dependent Upon life going your way. (laughs) I won't ask you to raise your hand, but (laughs) I probably wouldn't see any. (laughs) How many of you could say, man, life's always going my way? (laughs) Yeah. Even on your best day, you can always find something that could be better. Well, that's life. Doesn't mean that we can't have joy. And one of the, one very good natural way to produce joy in our life is to build some prayer Relationships. We all ought to be praying for one another. We ought to be thinking and having a burden and having some compassion. You know, I, I would, I, just like Paul, Paul was always asking people to pray for him. He said, pray for me that I'd speak the word as I ought to speak, that I'd speak the word boldly. You know, whether it be a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a master club worker, Anybody that's actually ministering and serving, we ought to pray for one another with heart. Pray for the sound booth and pray for the pianist and the musicians. We ought to do that because what they're doing is important. And if it's important, we ought to have a burden and we ought to have passion for it. And it's the way that it ought to be. Paul certainly had a burden for Timothy because of his unfeigned faith. Greatly desiring to see him, he said, being mindful of his tears so that he could be filled with joy. That's what the Lord wants us all to have. Number two, the second thing is to raise some spiritual children. Raise some spiritual children. Now, what I mean by that, and I know that could be taken two different ways, and if you're a parent, then you want your children to be spiritual, (laughs) That would be raising spiritual children. We, that would be what a Christian parent would want. That's not the point. The point that we're making is talking about the term spiritual children, not necessarily your biological children, but rather the people that you have influenced toward Christ or perhaps maybe been uh, a discipler to them, a mentor, if you will. First Thessalonians 2, verse number 19 says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Paul's talking about when we're in the presence of the Lord someday, you're going to be there. And that's going to be a great joy. But he's not just talking about the future. He says, You are our glory and joy. It's a great natural joy to know that you have played a part in someone's salvation, and/or in their discipleship. It's encouraging to know that your labor and care were not in vain. Back when my son was was smaller, and I guess probably in his junior high uh, years, he played goalie on a roller hockey team, and. Uh, I, I was had the I don't I guess it was a privilege sometimes I ended up coaching by default but one of the last seasons that we had roller hockey my wife remembers a young uh, a boy on our team by the name of Alex and Alex I mean if you just looked at him you would it, it, it would be the character out of some Disney sports movie he had thick glasses He had zero athleticism. He could barely stand up on his skates. I'm being serious. And he was on my team. And all season long, I'm trying to teach him just little fundamentals. And so we'd have to use him in various ways. And in roller hockey, you didn't have like an offsides or onsides. And so sometimes I would just tell him, look, just go camp out in front of the goalie and cause him problems. If the puck comes your way, try to slap it into the net. Because that was about all he could do to contribute to the team. Well, as the season went on, he started getting just a little bit better. And so instead of camping out in front of the goal, I told him, I said, look, you can skate half of the court. You can go to the half court line and then back We don't need you out here on defense because by the time you get back there, the puck's going to be on the other side of the rink. It's not going to matter. So I just tried to just shorten up his area. He got a little bit better and a little bit better. We got down to the end of the season, and we we almost made it to the championship game. But instead, we made it to the consolation game, which for the team that we had, that was really, really good. Well, we played this team that was actually probably the best team in the league in the consolation, and it went down to a tie. In in roller hockey, if the clock runs out and it's a tie, they line up a player from each team and they do a shootout. And so each one on the team gets the puck, no one defending him, and skates up toward the goalie and tries to score on the goalie just one-on-one. Well, our team lined up, and so obviously you put your best players first. And so all of our best players, they, they shot, and a couple of them scored. The other team, they put their best players, and a couple of them shot and scored and so forth. So we got through all of the best players, and it was still tied up, like three to three, I think. And so guess whose turn it was on our team? It was Alex. Alex. Alex started at the half-court line, and he started to skate. He got about two strides into it, and he stumbled, and he fell down. And he got back up, and he got the puck on his stick, and he started skating, and he fell down again. And I imagine that the goalie is probably going, I don't know what to do here. (laughs) He got the puck up, and he's skating. I mean, it's just he's barely moving. It's like theres he's not going to fake the goalie out, and he got up there within about maybe... I don't know, ten feet in front of the goalie, and he stopped and the goalies all ready for him. And he slapped the puck and the puck got past that goalie and went into the net. And I mean, this roller, the the rink that we were at, it was pandemonium. Everybody on the team dog piled on top of Alex, and I mean, everybody. I'm shouting. I jump over the wall and I run out there. It was an amazing amazing thing. And you know what? It had nothing to do with the fact that we won the game. It had to do with Alex. He did that. And that was our joy because it's like, wow, we were so happy for him. The whole team was. And it was an awesome experience. Listen, that is the natural joy of raising spiritual children. In 3 John, verse number Three, it says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know, the Apostle John doesn't say, I have no greater joy than to know that all of these people I discipled are doing what I told them to do. I have no greater joy than to hear that all of these spiritual children think that I'm the greatest preacher that ever lived, and they love our church, blah, blah, blah. John's not saying that. He's saying, I have no greater joy than to know that they are walking in what? Truth. Walking in the truth. That would mean following the Bible, not simply following the preacher. That's what brings great joy. Listen, many ministers today use various means to cause their followers to do the right things. They do. But the problem is, is the end result is it only adds more pressure to the preacher's life. Listen, if you manipulate someone into doing the right thing, then you have to continue to manipulate them to continue to do the right thing. And you'll never, you'll never go to sleep. You'll, it'll never bring you joy. It'll only bring you pressure and stress and worry if your followers are only following you because you either bullied them, intimidated them, or jollied them into doing the right thing. It's just a horrible thing. But John could say, I have no greater joy than to know my Children, the people I led to the Lord, the people who I have taught the Word of God, they're not being followers of me per se. They're being followers of the truth. That's where the great joy comes from. Number three, seek a vibrant relationship with Christ. John goes on to say in 1st John chapter number one, verse number three, He says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Listen, something that is vibrant is something that resonates. It's something that's full of life and energy and enthusiasm. Do you have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? I believe that a vibrant relationship with Christ, its it has to do with prayer. It has to do with reading the Bible, not to check it on your calendar, but because you're listening for the Lord to speak to your heart. You're looking for application. Lord, how do I change my life so that I can be pleasing to you? That is fellowship. That is relationship, and that's what the Lord's seeking, and those are the kind of things that make our joy to be full. Listen, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6, Peter says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Brothers and sisters, it's not about circumstances. It's not about life going your way. It's not about waking up and the weather being wonderful. Listen, this past week, was the weather wonderful or what? I mean, in the mornings, it was just kind of crisp, low humidity. What was it? Some days high of 78 or low 80s. It's like, wow, it was a great week. And that all certainly affects our spirit. But you know what? Having a relationship, a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ... We can have joy unspeakable and full of glory even while we are going through manifold temptations. Listen, joy, I understand that joy is a very emotional thing, but scriptural joy goes beyond just how we feel, and it also affects what we think. You know, how our mind is doing. Have you ever had to worry, hey, my mind's clear, but here in my heart there's a burden, there's a hurt that I'm dealing with. And what happens? We continue to have a relationship with Him. Prayer and the Word of God. And over time, guess what? The manifold temptations and the trials and the burdens, they begin to produce joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. In conclusion, joy is, and this is connected to what I just said, joy is a natural conclusion to suffering. Do you know the Bible teaches us clearly that as believers, we're going to suffer. No one escapes suffering. It's just part of the Christian life. But the beauty of it is that when we suffer as Christians, then the Lord works it together for good in our life. Listen, I've suffered as an evildoer, haven't you? I've done the wrong things. I've Committed a sin and then had to reap what I sowed or the consequences and what have you. I'm not talking about natural consequences of a sinful life that we live in. I'm talking about walking close to the Lord. And then sometimes that means suffering. There will people, there, there are people that won't appreciate your closeness to the Lord. If you have convictions and beliefs according to this Bible that are different than them, They won't necessarily appreciate you. They may actually even despise you in their heart. This kind of suffering goes with it. But I want to remind all of us here this morning, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. You know, that's a, that's a pretty profound statement right there. What did that joy set before him produce? It says he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Are you going through some suffering today? Well, good news, as a Christian, you know what you ought to consider? Whatever you're suffering, you ought to think back and say, did Jesus go through anything similar to what I'm going through? Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe something didn't turn out like you expected. Maybe you had unrequited love or acceptance. And you know what? And all of those things you ought to consider What did Jesus go through that might be similar? And you know what that helps all of us do? It helps us relate to Him. Now all of a sudden, I know Jesus at a different level. It doesn't happen until we suffer. It doesn't happen until we experience some negative things in life. We don't really enjoy things until we endure things. Listen, the birthing mother. Ladies, what you went through to bring... That little soul into this world. Jesus said in John 16, 21, A woman when she is in travail hath sorrow, because her hour is come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Listen, I've watched this. I've seen I mean when our children were born, I saw what my wife went through. And when that baby came came out, the doctor Took this slimy little thing and threw it up on her chest, and I'm watching and I'm going, <laughs> "It's an alien. It's a slimy alien." No, you, I mean men kind of like, "Wow," but for women, for mothers, it's like precious. It's like, "Oh, that's my baby." And so sometimes we have to endure some things in order to enjoy some things. Listen, I've talked to cancer patients, people going through cancer that they enjoy food that they otherwise wouldn't. You know, just to to taste something. It might be plain old oatmeal. And it's like, oh, this oatmeal tastes so good. I remember when medication enlarged my liver one time. And I had, I mean, I had full-blown hepatitis as a reaction to an antibiotic that I was taking. I was sick, I mean, really sick, and my wife made fun of me. You know, this is the truth. I happened to get that at the same time that Anna had a stomach bug. So Anna had just got through her stomach bug, and, and so I'm laying on the couch and I'm dying, and so my, my loving, compassionate, empathetic wife says, Anna didn't act this bad. (laughs) And I was sick for three months. It was horrible. But I remember, I remember the first thing that she fed me was this cheap Progresso chicken noodle soup. And I mean, it tasted so good. I think it was low, is there something about when your liver, we got liver problems, you can't handle, you know, your fat. So this was low fat stuff and it's just like, oh, it tasted so good. And after I got through that sickness, I said, make me some of that progresso soup. So she made some and I go, this isn't very good. But oh, was it delicious when I was going through that. It's the same thing in life. Sometimes we have to endure some things in order to enjoy some things. I was watching a war film one time about, I mean, in in World War II, these soldiers that were pinned down in Bastogne and if you've heard of the battle of the bulge and i mean it was winter time and they had no supplies they barely had ammunition and i mean they're hunkered down for months in a foxhole frostbite and just holding the line and just horrible horrible things and this this soldier he he gets they get through that and he gets a leave and he's on a bus and he's just sitting on that bus And he's enjoying it. Why? Because it was peace and quiet. He was safe and he was secure. I mean, the bus had stopped. Everybody had gotten off. And he's just right there. He's all by himself. He's just sitting there. He's enjoying it. Why? Because he had some peace. Whereas his whole life, everything in his heart and mind had been nothing but turmoil. Sometimes joy is a natural conclusion to suffering. Jesus said in John 16, verse number 33, He said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I find not only peace in that truth, but I find joy that my suffering All that we go through in this life is not for nothing. It's in order to produce a joy. Isn't heaven going to be wonderful? Isn't heaven going to be a wonderful place where there's nothing but love and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? I know that we get to enjoy a lot of things here on this this earth, and we also go through a lot of suffering and a lot of trials, but thank the Lord we can have this natural joy The natural Christian life does not relate us to a church or a leader or a movement. It relates us to the Savior. When we relate to Christ, we naturally have joy. Would you bow your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer here this morning? Father, thank you for the natural joy that we have in you. We thank you for the fruit of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, produces joy in our life. And, Lord, I pray that these truths that I brought to the congregation today will be helpful, perhaps maybe even life-changing. I pray if anyone here is without Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would draw them to you so that they can have a true relationship with you. I pray for my brothers and sisters, for each and every one of us, regardless of what we're going through I pray that we would start doing these things in order to have natural joy in our life, to develop prayer relationships, to get involved in leading people to Christ and discipling people and helping people. And Lord, also to just develop a real, true, vibrant relationship with you, to know you, to fellowship with you. Lord, for you to be more than just a name and a and a teaching, but Lord, for you to be real in our hearts and lives, God. I pray that you draw us to you in Jesus' name. Amen.